And, and in truth, they are very real, and they are something that we need to be aware of every single day because they are around, and they are doing things whether we can see them or not. So tonight, we're going to keep going in our question series, and tonight, the questions we're going to deal with, this is about five different questions that people sent in, but all of these questions deal with the character of God, who God is. And as we look at this tonight, I just want you to be thinking in the back of your mind, the things that we're talking about, do you know God this way? How well do you know God? Is, is God, is this, this far off thing that you read about and you hear about, or is this somebody that you actually have an intimate relationship with on a day-by-day basis? So let's just jump right into it tonight. The first question that I got this week was, how can I know God better? Now, that's a good question. That's the question that I've asked myself sometimes. And as we go into Scripture, as we look into Scripture, we see different ways that we can know God. But tonight I want to focus on one specific way. You see, a lot of us, whether we realize it or not, whether we consciously ask that question or not, we all want to know God better. Even people that don't believe in God want to know more about God. Because you've got one or two purposes. You are either trying to learn more about God so you can follow Him, or you're trying to learn more about God so you can discredit Him. But either way, you're trying to learn more about God. So how do we know God better? Well, for starters, Scripture tells us that whether we follow God or not, we know that He exists. We can look around at creation and know that there is a God. It tells us that in Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal nature, excuse me, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What that's saying is, if you have never entered the doors of a church, if you have never talked to someone who claims to be a Christian, if you have never opened the Bible and read one single word from God's book, you still know that a God exists. Because God has written that on our hearts. God has shown that to us in creation. You can look around and see that there is a creator. You know, I've, I've heard somebody say this before, and you guys may have heard this, that if, if you're walking along in the woods and you look down and you see a watch, the assumption is somebody made that watch, correct? Because of the inner workings, because of what it takes to make that watch function, because of the intricacies of that watch. The assumption is not, oh, that's a cool watch. I wonder what made it appear. And it just, there's a watch. Oh, wow, that must have started off as a sundial, and over time, sitting here, it evolved into a, an arm watch or your cell phone. Whoa. You see, you can, you can look at that watch and know that there's a creator because of how detailed and intricate that that watch is. It's the same thing with our earth, with the stars, with the heavens. You can look at it and know that that didn't just happen. That there is a God, there is a creator. And that's what he's saying there in the first chapter of Romans. That God has told us, God has written it on our hearts that he exists. It's the choice of whether or not we acknowledge that. So how do we go beyond that? 
Okay, we're supposed to, we know there is a God just by looking around. Do me a favor, if you're using your cell phones, make sure it's just for the Bible right now. Or taking notes, whatever you're doing. How can we know God beyond His creation? Well, the best possible way to know God is to get into His Word. Plain and simple. I know that sounds like an easy answer, and that's probably an answer you've heard before, but that's the best answer, is to get into God's Word and spend time understanding who He is. You guys do that kind of stuff anyway. I mean, think about it. When we want to know more about a sports star or an athlete or a movie actor, we'll do different things to find out about that person. Maybe we'll read magazine articles. Maybe we'll watch some biography show on TV. Maybe you might actually pick up a book and read a biography about somebody. Yeah, I know. It's kind of laughable, isn't it? Who reads a book anymore? But you know what? That's what we do. When we want to get to know someone else in our life, friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, if you have one, you spend time with that person. You sit down and you talk face-to-face -face with that person. You ask them questions. You listen to them. That's what we have to do with God. Because when it comes to knowing God, the way we get to know Him is by spending time with Him. And the way we spend time with Him is by spending time in His Word. That is, that is what He has given us for that face-to-face -face time. To sit down and open up the book and read through it. And as we read through it, we start to understand who God is. We see His love for mankind. We see the passion and the heart he had for his creation and still has to this day. We also see sin. And we see his hatred for that sin and his constant agony over our choice to go after sin instead of him on a regular basis. We see the sacrifice of his son. His one and only son that came to this earth and died for that sin. For my sin. For your sin. As we read through his word, as we get into his book, we see the redemption of his people over and over where we mess up and God says, I still love you and I still want a relationship with you. Come back to me. We see it time and time again. We start to understand the heart of God. And that's not just my opinion. It says so in the word of God. That's how we know him. In First uh, John chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, if we claim to love God, if we claim to follow Jesus Christ, then we're going to obey his commandments. And if you're not in his word, you don't know what those are. You don't know what that looks like. It tells us if we claim Jesus Christ and yet we ignore everything God's written in the Bible, it calls us a liar. That's not my words. That's scripture. So if we're going to claim this, then guess what? We've got to know him better. And we know him better by getting in the word. God equates knowing his word to knowing him. There's other ways we can know God. You can listen to other people that have spent time in his word. Listen to preachers. Listen to other pastors. And there's so many different ways to do that now. You can go to other churches if you want to and hear them. You can listen to pastors on Sundays and Wednesdays. 
the internet, iTunes, podcasts, video. There are hundreds of ways you can hear God's Word. You don't even have to read God's Word if you don't want to. If you get the YouVersion Bible app on your phone or your iPad or whatever, it will read it to you. You can take the lazy way to know God. It's possible. But spend time around people that have spent time in God's Word. Listen to their wisdom. Listen to what God has shown them. But I caution you, don't let that be the only way you ever hear God's Word. And I've told you guys this before. When I preach on Wednesday nights, when Pastor Ray preaches on Sunday mornings, don't just take our word for it. Look at it yourself. Look at what God will show you. Look at what God will do in your life using the information you find when you actually open up the Bible. That is the best way to know God better, is to open up the Bible, spend time in His Word. As you do that, you will know Him. Understand this, you won't ever fully understand Him. You will know Him better, but you will never fully understand God, because He is God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. There are things in Scripture that will baffle your mind and you don't understand how or why God would do what He does. And guess what? You're not supposed to. That's what makes Him God and us not God. But if you want to know Him better, get into His Word. And as you do that, you'll be able to start understanding this next question that's coming up. The next question that we got was this. Is God a God of grace or a God of judgment? How many of you would say he's a God of judgment? Okay, I got a couple of you. How many of you would say he's a God of grace? Raise your hand. Okay, I got a couple more of you. What's that? What if you get a both? Then you're right. Because he is both. He's a God of judgment and he is a God of grace. That's a good question. As you look at Scripture, as you start getting into His Word, you will see that He is both. Now, there are some people that would tell you in the Old Testament, when you read about God, that is where you see God as a judge. You see God, God is allowing wars, and God is telling the Israelites to wipe out entire people groups and take over lands, and God is the one who is judging people for their sin and striking them dead. And then when you get to the New Testament, you see this God of grace. And this God of love that sent Jesus Christ. But if you read the entirety of Scripture, you're going to see judgment in the Old and the New Testament. You're going to see grace in the Old and the New Testament. So let's start with God's judgment. As we look at Scripture, we see that God is a God that judges. And we don't have to go very far to see that. Because it starts in Genesis. It starts in Genesis chapter 3. Three chapters into the Bible... Not very many pages, we see that God is a God of judgment. This is a long passage, so bear with me. Luke 3, or Luke 3, Genesis 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. 
And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the fruit of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take, all, take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to, gu- to guard the way to the tree of life. Three chapters in the scripture, not very far, we see God's judgment. We see the very first time that man sinned, and because of that sin, he's judged by God. And there's consequences to that sin. God sees it, God deals with it. Just just so you understand, God's judgment is simply his dealing with sin. You know, when we think about people being judgmental, We think people are are getting this idea that they're holier than we are and and they're better than we are. And some people translate that to God. But that's not God. God actually is holier than we are. God actually is better than we are. But that's not why He judges. He judges because of sin. And God and sin don't mix. So that's why we see what's going on right here in the Garden of Eden, three chapters into the Bible. But it's not just in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament too. If we continue in that first passage from Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things kind of sounds like the world we live in today. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, even in the New Testament, we see that God is a God of consistency. He sees sin in the Old Testament, and He has to punish the sinner. There's judgment. We see sin in the New Testament, and He punishes the sinner. There's judgment, because God and sin don't mix. But the great thing is, because of His judgment, because of this problem of sin that we have, is why we get to see God's grace at the same time. His judgment necessitates His grace. And His grace is only available because there is judgment. You see, they kind of go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And from the beginning of creation, we see that there is an intimate relationship between God and man. We see that God loves man above all other creation. We are the only creation that was made in His image. We are the only creation that God breathed life into. We're it. 
So there's a relationship there, and it's a special relationship. And sin messed that up. And it messes up that relationship for every single one of us today. But God, knowing that problem, shows us grace because He loves us and still wants that relationship with us. And we see that grace over and over and over in Scripture, even when we don't deserve it. In Genesis 18, we started in Genesis 3. If you go to chapter 18, you see that um, you see Abraham having a conversation with God. And God's talking to him about the destruction of Sodom. Some of y'all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Cities that were very, very ungodly. All kinds of bad stuff happening there. And God tells Abraham, I'm going to destroy it. And then Abraham pleads with God. And here's where we see God's grace as Abraham has this conversation. Look at what happens, starting in verse 22 of chapter 18. So then, so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Judgment? Grace. And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. God has gone from, I'm just going to kill them all, to if there's fifty righteous people there, we'll spare it. We'll leave it alone. He keeps going. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. God's just dropped his number. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. How can you not see a God of grace here? Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But this once, suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten... I will not destroy it. God is willing and wanting us so bad that he will go to the extreme to have us. He went from destroying an entire city, no matter who was in it, to, okay, I'll save it if there's 50 righteous. Well, I'll save it if there's four. I'll do it if there's 30, 20. I'll do it if there's 10. That's how bad God wants a relationship with us. That's how unbelievably clear God's grace is. He's willing to do what he doesn't have to do. He's willing to do what most of us probably wouldn't do, just so he can know us. If you keep reading in the Old Testament, you see the book of Judges. There is grace all over that book. The whole point of the book of Judges is the people of Israel rebelled against God. They did their own thing. And then they realized they were in trouble, so they cried out to God and said, God, please send us a judge. God, please send us someone to protect us, to lead us in your ways. So God did. And they would follow for a time. And then they would forget. And then they would do their own thing. And they would choose honor, or choose sin. And they would dishonor God. 
and realized they were in a mess and they would cry out to God and say, God, send us a judge. Send us someone to lead us. Send us someone to show us closer to you. And he would. And if you read the book of Judges, it happens over and over and over and over and over again. Because God is a God of grace. Because God is a God that wants to know us. And in the New Testament, you see the exact same thing. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. It's because of God's grace, it's because of His mercy, that He was able to send His Son to die for us. So God is a, gra- God, is a God of judgment. God is a God of grace. He is both, and we have to have both, because that's part of what makes Him God. Anybody got any questions about that? Y'all aren't as talkative as you were last week. No? Hmm? All right, let's keep going then. Next question. How do I know which one is more powerful? Is it grace or is it judgment? How many of you think grace is more powerful? Okay. How many of you think judgment is more powerful? How many of, how many of you think it's both? Bam. Bam. Guess what? Scripture doesn't really answer that one. Oh, man. What's that? Well, we'll take a look at it. This is, this is where it gets a little less black and white. Scripture doesn't say His grace is more powerful. Scripture doesn't say His judgment is more powerful. But as we study Scripture, we see that one necessitates the other. You can't have one without the other. As you see His judgment, His judgment is what allows Him to provide grace. And His grace is provided because He has to judge sin. Because that is who God is. You know, as you guys read through, as we study Scripture and read through the Old Testament, we see, we see the setup from the beginning. In Genesis, God gave Adam and Eve how many rules? One. One. Did they keep it? No. So He goes on and He gives the Israelite people how many rules? Ten. Did they keep them? No. Have we kept them today? No. God of judgment. We can't keep His rules. We can't keep His commandments. We can't keep the things He's given us to protect us. And because of that, we have sin. And God has to judge sin because He is holy and He is righteous and He is perfect. Judgment has to be there. But then grace comes in. And because He is holy and just and perfect and wants us because He created us, He provides the grace and He knew we would not be able to conquer sin on our own because it's not possible. You and I, there's nothing we can ever do to fix our sin problem. God has to do that. And that was Jesus Christ's life, death, burial, resurrection. It is through His blood on the cross that we are able to experience God's grace and know who He is. Guys, that's why in the Old Testament, 
God's judgment and God's grace work together to set up the Old Testament sacrificial system.